What do you think about the boy dropping grapes out of his ear? Do you think that's what God's talking about? No. no. But when we ask Jesus to be our Savior, we come into a relationship with Him. He says we're His friends and that He loves us. And He wants to produce fruit in us. Like we sing downstairs, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, and self-control, right? God wants us... People see Jesus living in us by the things that we do. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. See, when you receive Jesus Christ, you become connected with Him. Now, if you love Jesus, does anybody here love Jesus? Some of you are still thinking about it. Okay, all of you love Jesus. If you love Jesus and you choose to ask Him to be your Savior, He brings you into His family. That's forever and ever and ever. No one can take that away from you. Now, that's not just where it stops. The Bible wants us to grow. The Bible tells us that Jesus wants to produce fruit in us, that people see Jesus living in our lives. Does that make sense? Can you tell me, what do we do down in worship their way that we don't do upstairs? Danny? Well, we don't watch videos. After we, we watch videos, or before we watch videos, we do something else. What is that? Do you know? Yes, sir. Okay. We do pray. Okay, we do something. We separate the girls and then, then the boys. What's that? Raise your hand. Sonia? We eat, we eat it. What is it? Well, what is that? Our... Our snack, right? Now, Pastor Dave doesn't pass out snacks to the grown-ups. Kind of sad, huh? What type of church is that, man? But guess what? Did you see that guy eating grapes on the video? Made me hungry for grapes. It reminds you that we can produce fruit. The fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness. Kindness, you got it. All those when we allow Jesus to live his life in us. Now, Miss, Ho- Miss Joanne and Miss Chrissy, they have a bag of grapes and a drink for everyone here. That's come down forward, okay? I want you to take one bag of grapes and one drink. But I also, even while we're upstairs here, I want you to pay attention. Help your parents understand what Jesus wants you to hear, Okay? Can you do that for Pastor Michael? All right. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for all of our students. Father, that we get to come together upstairs and worship you. And Father, we can hear a word from you. Help us to go out of here thinking of ways that we can show Jesus is living in our lives. For all those who receive Jesus, Father, help us to prove that by the works we do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody says what? Girls first. If you'll walk over here. Fine, Lily, now you come down and I'm giving out a snack. (laughs) All right, you can go back to your seat with your parents. When the girls are out of the way. All right, going back to seat with your parents. And boys, if you'll stand up. 
You'll walk on over here. Miss Chrissy, bad news is like you've got a lot of drinks you need to take care of later on. Preaching downstairs and preaching upstairs is a little bit different. I don't normally spend 20 plus hours on one message for the kids, but I was excited to do this. I'm glad Dave asked me if I would uh, bring the message while he's on vacation. We're going to look at John chapter 15. Uh, a couple of us are a part of a... Uh, a small group that Pastor Dick leads on Friday mornings. Uh, a couple of months ago, he brought this as just something we wanted, he wanted us to think about. Well, I've been thinking about it for months, and I wanted to be able to share with you what God's been teaching me. In John chapter 15, Jesus gives his disciples two pictures. Now remember, beginning from John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, Jesus is his last few moments with his disciples. So they have a crash course for that before the test comes. In John chapter 13, he washes the disciples' feet. He has Passover with them. He tells them that one of them is going to betray them and that he's going to die made them pretty upset. And John chapter 14 says, it's okay, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He promises the Holy Spirit who's going to come and indwell us. Then in John chapter 15, he gives them two illustrations of what that means when the Holy Spirit comes into your life. In John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17, he pictures the believers as friends. With this relationship comes a responsibility. The relationship gives us the ability or the privilege to know God's will for our life. But it also comes with the responsibility of obeying it. He says, I call you my friends. You're no longer my slaves. You are my friends. And because you're my friends, I'm going to reveal to you God's word. Now, if you love me, obey me. The other picture is what we're going to focus on. It's found in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. It pictures the believers as branches. He says, when you receive me, you enter into this relationship with me. I've told you I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to you. In the next chapter, he explains what the role of the, of the Holy Spirit will be. He says, this relationship I'm giving to you comes with a privilege. You get to share my life. But there's a responsibility. Not only do we get to have the life of Jesus flowing through us through the Holy Spirit, we, got to remain, we have a responsibility. Jesus says we must remain in Him. Be joined to Him. Now this remaining of Christ, it's sometimes puzzling to Christians. Does this mean it's up to me to stay in God's family? Well, we're going to look at this. We're going to find out what God's saying. This word picture is 
or allegory is to teach us that the fruitful life of the believer is what God expects. Now, I was telling my small group on Wednesday nights that I'm a word nerd, and there's sometimes I get really excited about words I discover. And later on, I'm going to go ahead and share with one of them. Can you bring up verse 1? First of all, we're going to see the characters who Jesus is talking to. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine. My Father is the gardener. We are the branches. Who's the true vine? Have you got your... Uh, follow-along sheet there. The true vine is who? And children worship their way, they would say it out. Who's the true vine? Jesus. Who's the gardener? God. Who are the branches? Believers are us. Very good. So as he begins here in verse 1, he tells us who's involved in this joining relationship. Jesus, God the Father, and the branches. Well, that's the characters. Next we're going to look at verses 2 through 5 and look at the cultivation of this vine. Does anyone here have a vine at their house? A couple of you do. On the side of my house, next to my fence in the corner, I had to ask Joanne what this is called. This is called a word vine. The, wood vine, I'm sorry. Uh, when we got there, about 13 years ago, so it was about this big around the stalk of it. After 13 years ago, that trunk is bigger than this. Now, when we first moved here, they had a trellis on the side of the house, and the vine grows all the way up to the roof and goes along the roof. Well, I took all that down, and I put new siding on the roof. And me being a guy, to me, that's a mess. I'd like to see it go away. My wife likes the berries or the fruit that it produces. We let it grow. Unfortunately, that's right where my barbecue pit is. And that vine, every year, even though I cut it back in the winter, it dies off. I cut off all these branches. It comes back fuller and fuller. It reaches over my fence. You can't even open up the gate sometimes. If I open up the barbecue pit, I got all these vine leaves in my barbecue pit. And I'm thinking, oh, I know what I'll do. I'm just going to trim them back. And every time I do it, it just comes back fuller and fuller. I'm going, what's going on here? As I read this, Jesus tells us what's happening. If you look at verse 2, uh, Jesus says, now, I brought my children's Bible up, so it's not going to match what's in the, uh, that will come up on the screen. He says that he cuts off every branch joined to him that does not bear fruit. He trims every branch that does bear fruit. Then it will bear even more fruit. He says, you are already clean because of the word. I have spoken to you. Remain joined to me, and I'll remain joined to you. 
no branch can bear fruit of itself. It must remain joined to the vine. In the same way, you cannot bear fruit unless you remain joined to me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If anyone remains joined to me and, and I to him, he will bear much fruit. You can't do anything without me. As I brought the kids up, they saw that on the video. Apart from Jesus, we will be fruitless. But if we strive to remain connected to him, we come to church to worship him, we read his word, we meditate on what he says, we pray, we sacrifice for him. And when we serve others, those are all evidence of the fruit bearing in our lives. Now, I gave all of our kids bags of grapes. You, if it, a grapevine was to be cut off, a branch of grapes, a branch from the grapevine was to be cut off from the vine, would it still produce fruit? It's going to shrivel up. Every fall, when I cut off those branches off that vine, those branches shrivel up. There's no more producing leaves. They don't produce any berries because they've been separated from their life source. They've been separated from what gives them the ability to produce fruit. Now, when you come to Jesus Christ and you receive Him, God promised us that the Holy Spirit now comes and lives in us. And the same life that Jesus has, he wants to live that through you and me. That people see the works of the Father in us. Not so we can pat ourselves on the back and say, look how good I am. But we say, look at what a good God we have. Now, if I was in worship their way, I would snap my fingers and I'd say, are you sitting straight? Are your hands fully up, being quiet and still? Just to bring you back to me. I want to make sure you hear that. God says you cannot do anything without him. Now, we can go through the motions, and later on I'm going to tell you a story about how I went through the motions. But I produced no fruit. I told you I was a nerd, a word nerd. This word remain, if you carry it all the way through the chapter, is used 11 times. Obviously, it's important. He's repeated it over again. Uh, my wife is a teacher. She tells me repetition proves it's important. Eleven times, John uses the word remain. In Greek, that's the word meno. And when, as soon as I picked that up, I went, oh, that means to stay. And then I went open my, my lexicon, my Greek lexicon, looked up all the meanings of this word. It means to stay, to dwell, to abide, to continue, to remain, to stand, and to unite continually. Okay. My daughter, Chrissy, trains dogs, and she can give them a command, stay, and that dog has to sit, and she'll walk away and not move. That dog just sits there, does nothing, and then she makes a sound with her mouth or clicks her finger or whatever, and then the dog comes and joins her on her side. That's not what he's saying here. Let me show you how excited I got as I started going into this. This word stay means to stay in a given place, in a given state, in a given relationship with expectancy. There's expectation. 
If you've joined into this relationship, you're expected to produce fruit. I love that. As I read that, I said, you know what? A lot of us were content when you received Jesus Christ that we can sit back. I know that I'm going to go to heaven. Some of us call that sitting on our blessed assurance. It's more, the Christian life is more than just sitting. It's staying joined to that vine, Jesus, and allow Him to prune us when we need to be pruned, to nurture us, to give us the sustenance that we need to survive. Does that mean that everything in life is going to go easy? No. Now, I can watch my vine during the springtime, and if we get a late frost, I see the, the stress it puts on that vine. Those branches are dormant. They don't produce any fruit. They don't grow. But as that cold weather passes and the warm weather comes and water comes into the, to those fruits and comes on up, that, those branches get the, the sustenance that it needs and begins growing. Unfortunately for me, it grows too big for me. It gets into my barbecue pit. I can't even open my gate anymore. But it proves to me how we can flourish, how God expects us to flourish when we're joined to Him. We looked at the cultivation. We're going to look at one more. I mean, the characters, the cultivation. Now we're going to look at the clarification. As I studied, I was surprised that these verses are used by some to prove that you can lose your salvation. I was like, where do they get that? It goes back to verse 2. It says that God, as the gardener, cuts off every branch joined to him that does not bear fruit. And I was like, okay, well, I somehow understand that. But the first rule of hermeneutics of how to study the Bible is read it in context. God's saying if you're not, your life is not producing fruit, I'm going to take your salvation away. That's not what he says. He cuts off. He prunes. Now, I didn't realize when I'm cutting these branches off, the actual word is pruning. I prune back these dead branches in the winter, and it comes back even stronger, even healthier. God does that to us. A few weeks ago, we, Pastor Dave talked about dangerous prayers. Anyone of you ever prayed and said, God, make me more like you? Anyone ever asked, God, there's areas in my life that aren't pleasing to you. Can you take those away? I have. Garrett has. Well, that's a dangerous prayer because see what happens. When you invite God to come into your life and reveal those things, those areas in your life that are not pleasing to Him, you mean that, right? God says, okay, Michael, gets out his pruning shears and goes, there's areas in your life that don't look like me, that people don't see me in you. And he takes out those shears and he goes, begins cutting them out of your life. It's painful. It hurts. It's not a pleasant thing that I'm standing in line. God, just, just tear my heart apart. You know, things that I was thinking aren't pleasing you. Just stick it to me. No. But when God does, it's like, oh, well, that proves to me that I have a loving Father 
that says, I want more for you. I want you to look like my son. I want people to see me living in your life. I want you to be connected to this vine. We saw who the characters were. We saw how God cultivates. He prunes back those things that aren't like like him. Then in verse 7, he says, If you remain joined to me and my words remain in you, ask anything you wish and it will be given to you. Does that mean that God's our genie God, that we can rub that magic lamp through prayer and God's going to do it? No. Back up. Read it in context. Verse 6. If anyone does not remain joined to me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and dries up. Branches like those are picked up. Those are thrown into the fire and burned. You become worthless. If you pull yourself away from the flowing sustenance of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, you, don't, you come to church, you might say prayers, you might worship, you might raise your hand, but you're not connecting to Him. You're not seeking Him Meditating on his words, he tells us. God says, you're going to dry up. I want to get back to that river of life, of Jesus flowing through me. That, that excitement that came when I first became a Christian is still there. David prayed, return to me the joy of my salvation. He wanted to stay connected to God, that God's life would flow through him. Did David mess up? Quite a few times. God said, he's a man after my own heart. What made him that? Even in when he messed up, even when God revealed there were areas in his life that were not pleasing to him, he turned back to God and said, God, forgive me. Restore that joy of my salvation. Come back and live your life through me. He cuts off. He throws away, and we wither. Can we be born of God authentically in a living way, be united to Christ and lose our salvation? You notice that blank is empty. I'm not going to give you that answer. The best way to interpret Scripture is with Scripture. I'd like you to look at John chapter 10, verse 28. This is Jesus talking. He says, I give the eternal life, and they will never perish, ever. No one will snatch them out of my hands. Jesus says, I give you eternal life. He said that he was the sheep. He was the shepherd and we were the sheep. He says, I know my sheep. They hear my voice. And I'm going to give them eternal life. Will anyone take us away from Jesus according to that verse? No. No one will snatch him out of the hand. Let's look at another verse. 1 John chapter 2, verse 9. John, in his letter, his first letter, explains 
When someone who's made a profession of faith say that Christ has come into my life, but they get to a point where they turn their back on God, they walk away from the church, they stop living for Jesus. Did they lose their salvation? John answers that. He says in verse 19 of chapter 2, They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For had they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belonged to us. So when you turn your back on Jesus, according to Scripture here, it's not that you lost your salvation. It says that that commitment, that relationship you have wasn't really authentic. Now let me explain that with my life. At 16 years of age, I spent the night with a friend. His dad was the chairman of the deacons. His dad told me that if I spent the night that I had to go to church. Okay, I had been to church since I was five years old. I could go to church one time. And I sat in the very back pew, and we told inappropriate jokes. I took my bulletin, and I watered it up. I found a straw on the floor, and I was shooting spit wads in church. Was I paying attention? No, I was not. But come the invitation time, my friend punched me and told me, I need to go forward. I said, why? He goes, you need to go forward. Okay, I'm obedient. Didn't understand what I was doing. But I walked forward, and the pastor asked me if I'd said the sinner's prayer. Sure. What's that? He said, sit down here and fill out a card. And they told me I was a Baptist. What's a Baptist? I didn't know. That night they said, we need you to come on back. That's the information I got. I came back, and they baptized me. I didn't know what that was. As far as I know, they dunked me. I, they threw me in the water, and they lowered me under the water, they brought me up. I still had my wallet in my pocket. Still wearing my watch was ruined after I went down to the baptistry. And they told me that that meant that I was a Christian. Okay, so what does Christians do? They said, they come to church every Sunday. Every Sunday? Okay, I'll do my best. So I tried to come to church every Sunday. They said that Christians give. So they had these little envelopes. And I used to put usually 25 cents in every envelope. I was tipping God. They said that if you're a Christian, that you become active in the youth group. I attended youth group. Someone in the youth group says, Michael, why don't you join me in choir? I'm sorry, Caleb, they didn't know what they were talking about, but I joined him in the choir. I couldn't sing very well, but I joined him in the choir. They told me that if you're a Christian, you're going to tell other people about Jesus. We have a, a people that go out and share Jesus. We want you to be part of our witnessing team. I had all these activities in my life going on. My pastor told me that I was probably one of the most active members in his entire church. I believe he was right. I did not have a relationship. For five years, I went through the motions, but I felt, had this hole in my heart, this emptiness. I go, there's something wrong here. And I prayed one of those dangerous prayers. I said, God, if you're real, speak to me. I'm in it. I wanted to hear from God. My Bible that I've read in five years, 
maybe six times outside of church. So the Bible says you speak to people. If you go, you're really there, speak to me. And I heard a voice. I don't know if it was God. I don't know if it was a demon, but I heard a voice. Scared the living daylights out of me. I came running out of my living room, I mean, out of my bedroom, into my living room, and looked around to see if anybody else heard it. It's like, okay, what's this all about? Well, this began me thinking that maybe there's some, something's going on here. Over the next few weeks, God began dealing with my heart. The Bible says no one comes to Jesus unless he's drawn to the Father. The Father began drawing to me. On November 27, 1981, I asked Jesus, man, I'm tired of playing games. I want to have an authentic relationship with you. That night, Jesus came into me. I didn't understand everything then. I still don't understand everything. But I realized that I, wanted, I was hungry to grow, to be like him. I got a Bible that I could understand, began reading that. I began talking to God, not as the heavenly father that I have no contact with, but as the loving father that longs for me to call him daddy. Now, I have dad. I loved calling him daddy. I loved him to be able to sit on his lap and to know that no matter what I had done, he still loved me. And that image came to my mind. That's how God is for us. He wants us to enjoy that type of relationship with him all the time. But, you know, the Bible says that when we sin, our sin separates us from God. And we have, because we're a child, God began saying, there's something in your life that you know what it is. We need to get rid of it. And begin, I began keeping short accounts with God. When I've done something wrong, God's Holy Spirit pricked my heart. I wanted to deal with it right then. I, didn't want to, I wasn't losing my salvation. I was confirming it, that because God loved me so much, that he would discipline me. Now, I have one of my children here that I love you so much that when you do something wrong, that mom and dad, we are going to correct you so that you learn to do right. And I don't mean to scare her because she's, she's pretty good. All right. But because, Chrissy, I love you that much, as your f- father, I make that promise. I will correct you when you do things wrong in order that you might learn that I love you enough to correct you. I don't know if she really believes that or not. I, I can see your face and you can't. But that's the way God is. He loves us enough that He'll correct us when we do things wrong. Why? To get rid of us? No, to make us stronger. When I cut those vines off, that, the branches off that vine, it grows back even bigger and goes back stronger. The areas in our life that aren't pleasing to the Father, He says He cuts them off. As we talk with the children, God Sometimes it hurts when God cuts things in our life. shows us that when we tell lies, it doesn't please Him. When we disobey our parents, it breaks His heart. It's not to make us feel bad. He wants us to repent, to ask Him to change our heart, that we want to follow Him. We saw the cultivation, the clarification. One more. Remaining proves whether the attachment of the vine is flowing with life is merely artificial and external 
or if it's real. I want that flowing with life feeling. I want to remain in Him. Finally, we come to the culmination. What is this all about? Why does God do this? Let's look at verse 8. When you bear much fruit, it brings glory to my Father. It shows that you are my disciples. Did you hear that? When your life starts producing lots of fruit, it brings God glory. I do chapel several times a year at Godly Christian School. One of the songs they teach the kids, which we've adopted for worship their ways, is the Ten Commandments. We can bring God fame by just obeying Him. Verse 9, just as the Father has loved me, this is Jesus speaking, I have loved you. Sound boring? Let's go back to that word just. It means in the exact same manner that God loves Jesus. Do you think God loves Jesus? Some of you are still thinking about it. Yeah, he does. God loves his son so much. He says, that's the same way I love you. Jesus was loved of the Father. He says, now that's the same way, that same sacrificial love that I had for my Father, that I was willing to die on the cross to obey him, that I might provide a way of salvation. That's the same way he loved Jesus, uh, uh, the same love that Jesus has for us. Just as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love. Does that answer your question? How do you remain in Jesus? Obey what He asks you to do. In the same way, I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that your joy, my joy will be in you. I also want your joy to be complete. I love this. God cares for us internally by Christ's life flowing into us by the Holy Spirit. God cares for us externally by loving, as a loving Father who knows how to discipline His children and to make us maximally fruitful. Fruitful to the max. Be abundant. To flow with the life of Jesus that people see, not Michael, but Jesus living inside me. Our ultimate goal is to glorify God, according to verse 8. God's design for us depending on a gardener to care for us and to maximize our fruit is so that God or He gets the glory for bringing it all about. Why do we have the vine and the branches and the gardener? So we can glorify God in our bodies. To honor Him, to show His love in us. It's called being in relationship with Him. That relationship produces the fruit of the Spirit, produces the image of Christ in us, that people see Jesus living His life in us. That relationship comes with a responsibility. We have to obey Him. 
we have to remain joined to Him, that His life is evident. Being in relationship is a wonderful joy. God wants us to have joy, unspeakable joy, because of what Christ is doing in my life and in your life. If you walk around saying, I've been a Christian for 27 years. The love of Jesus just shines in me. People go, I can see it. But if you're excited about what God's showing you in His Word, what you heard through prayer, and you want to share that, when you want so excited about the love of Jesus, you want people to join you in that relationship, sharing your faith. It brings your joy, brings you exuberant joy. Relationship in Jesus is a privilege. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for an opportunity we've had this morning to look at John chapter 15 and the vine and the branches. I thank you for Jesus being our life source. Father, I pray for all of us here. That when, we, when you reveal to us areas in our life that aren't pleasing to you, that don't honor you, that, Father, you'd prick our heart, that, Father, that we would do business with you, that we remain to you in your love and your life, that people would see flow, that flowing life in us. God, I thank you for that. I ask that everyone here that has already in relationship with you, that they would be like David, they would ask for that joy of their salvation to be restored. And for those of us who are attached to you, that we would become even more fruitful in you, Father. I ask this in Christ's name.